prepared, we must know the Word of God. We must understand the Word of God. We must teach and preach the Word of God and be zealous in doing so. We cannot be people that are passive. We cannot be people that do not want to share what God has done for them. We have to be a speaking church. And so with that being said, Jesus came to preach. He came to save. He came to heal. He was a speaker. He was a preacher, a teacher. And as little Christians, as those that follow underneath him, we are his chicks. He and he, and he is, our, he is our, our mother, if you will. And we follow underneath him. And we are to be like him, following him, walking with him, talking with him, saying the things that he says. Doing the things that he does. That includes loving the people that should not possibly or probably be loved according to the eyes of, of the world. It's hard to love our enemies. Jesus said to love your enemies. So those that rise up against pro-life, those that rise up against this new move that's, that's happening in our country. We don't have the right to combat them with hatred, but we combat them with love. We combat them with the Word of God, and we stand upon the Word of God in that. We understand the truth, we know the truth, and the truth is in Jesus Christ. He bore witness and record to the truth. And so we have to stand upon that. 1 John chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 6, and I'm going to read 6, 7, and 8. I'm going to be reading out of the King James, because the King James in this passage of Scripture, I believe, has a better uh, rendering of this passage and of this text. I think it's a little bit clearer. Uh, you will notice if you're in an NASB or an ESV that there is some things left out when you look at it. And you'll pick up on it when I read these. And so pay careful attention as I read this. 1 John chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. This is going to be concerning the testimony of Jesus Christ. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. If you have another translation other than a King James, verse 7 is going to be very small. Uh, but in the King James, it's not. And so I want, to, I want to preface that. Beginning in verse 6, it says, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. Verse 7, pay careful attention. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Verse 8. And there are three that bear witness in earth. The Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he has testified of 
his son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believes not the record that God gave of his son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life and this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Beginning in verse 6, this is the testimony of Jesus Christ, the truth of his appearing in time, in actual flesh, in actual blood, actual bone. He actually did come as a human born of a virgin. He came overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. He came in human form. He was real, breathing eye sockets, armpits, nostrils, eyes, ear, hair, legs, you name it. Jesus Christ was fully man, but yet fully God. And he appeared here to as a witness and as a testimony for us. And so here in our text, John is still combating the Gnostics. And uh, he is going to give us three that bear record in heaven and three that bear record on earth. Three that bear record in heaven which most of your ESVs do not have. They say, and these three testify, but it doesn't clarify what exactly they're talking about there. So there's three that bear record in heaven, which is the Father, the Word, which is Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And then there's also three that bear record on earth. And so what is John doing? What is he doing? He is combating the Gnostics. He is combating the heresy that had came into the early church, the docetists that had came in and that were teaching heresy. John was coming in with the right word of God and he was telling them and showing them that yes, in fact, Jesus Christ did come and I'm going to give you three witnesses in heaven that tell me that and I'm going to give you three witnesses in earth that testify to the same truth. And so John comes here and, he, and he, is, he is bringing these truths out so the church can see, yes, in fact, Jesus was real. And those that believe in him have everlasting life and those that don't will not. He actually appeared to be human. The docetists taught that he... That he only appeared to be a human being, but never actually took on flesh. John comes here and he says, we have three witnesses in heaven that testify to this. And we have three witnesses on earth to testify to this very fact that Jesus came of the flesh and was real and was true. Guys, in these latter days, we have to understand and we have to not come away from the truth. We have to stay close to it, just as John did in the early church today in these latter times. We must stay close to the Word of God and not get away from it. Jesus was real. He did bleed. He did die. And He did rise again. We must stay close to God's Word. We get away from God's word. We get into all of these different systems and all of these different ways of thinking. It gives Satan a foothold to remove us from truth. We must stick close. And John is telling us, hey, 
Come back. Let's stick close. Jesus did come. So what does John the Beloved do? What does he do here in this text? He preaches the word. He preaches the truth. Just as Paul told Timothy to make full proof of your ministry. Preach the word. He said, I charge you to preach the word. This is why we're to be a speaking church. To tell others. Let's know what verse 6 says. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Now, I know that most of you have commentaries in your Bibles, and I'm going to give you this, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Most of your commentaries, if, if you've got 10 different Bibles in here, there's probably going to tell you 10 different thoughts on these next few verses. Okay? But remember, we don't listen to man's. What he says, but we listen to the word of God. Now, I'm a man. And so with that being said, you have to even weigh out what I say according to God's word. So we have to see how does this fit in this context? How is it contextually right? What is the basis for John's writing? And then how do we apply this to what we're hearing him say in this text? I think if we do it that way, it's fairly simple. Verse 6 tells us that this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. And this in context makes perfect sense. Because this is exactly what the Gnostics were going against. Remember, they were saying he just appeared to be but actually was not. And so John comes here and he says, by water and blood, he came. If we keep with this theme throughout the entire letter and don't leave it, if we don't leave the theme, if we don't leave the context of the letter, we see that what John is talking about is that Christ did come in flesh and bone. He was flesh, he was, he was blood, he was water, he was real. Turn with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, and we're going to see this. We know that the end of John speaks about the crucifixion. In all, in all of the Gospels there towards the end, we see where it speaks about the crucifixion. And we're going to look at this because I want us to see in context what John was talking about, what I fully believe John was talking about in our text. If we keep it, the letter true in 1 John. If we keep this theme throughout the whole letter, we will see, yes, in fact, Jesus was a real and true person. Verse 6 tells us he came with blood and water. Listen to what it says in John 19 and 31. Listen to the wording and listen to what is being said here. The evidence of life is in what? Is in the blood, right? That is the evidence of life. You cannot have it any other way. 
And so here in our text in John chapter 19 and verse 31 through 37 and follows, it says this, The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath was on the high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. What did they testify to? The soldiers, what did they testify to? First, they testified that he was already dead. In other words, life had been extinguished from him. He was done. He was poured out. But if that wasn't enough, something else was fixing to take place to show us truly that he was flesh and blood. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already, and they break not his legs. And the reason why they didn't break his legs, he was dead already, but that was also to fulfill a prophecy out of the Old Testament. In verse 34, it says, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. Could a ghost have blood and water? No. No. What has blood and water? Something that is real. Something that is alive. Something that was, we know here that he was already dead. But when this happened, listen to what comes next in verse 35. And he that saw it bear a record and his record is true. Who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. John bore record of this and John's record is true. And he knoweth that he saith is true, that you might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. So when you go back to 1 John, in chapter 5, chapter five and beginning in verse 6, It says, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. What is he doing? He is bearing witness that Christ was actually who he says he was. And he is putting the Gnostics once and for all in their place. You see how John is combating the the wickedness in the world and the church and that what came into the church? He is not browbeating them as I have done in the past. He is not browbeating them with the word of God saying, you must, you must, you must. But he is coming against them with the truth of the word of God. And if we are going to be victorious, especially when it comes to abortion, and especially when it comes to those and with, with life, and being pro-life, We're going to have to address these issues with the truth of God's word. Just as John is doing here. He is not wavering from that. He's going right back to the truth. This is he that came by blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And it is the Spirit that bears witness because the Spirit is truth. The Spirit testifies for the Spirit is truth. 
We know this because it leads us into all truth. The Spirit is truth. It testifies to this. You know as well as I do right now, if you're a child of God, that the Spirit of God lives inside of you and it bears witness that Jesus did in fact come and bled out and he died for you and me. That is the Spirit testifying to you truth. And the Spirit does that. Verse 6, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And it is the Spirit that bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. Verse 7, for there are three that bear record in heaven. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word. Now who is the Word? Jesus. That's right. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are what? One. These three are one. From the beginning, our triune God has been one working in perfect harmony. Whether we choose to believe that or not, it does not negate the fact that he always has been and always will be and forever will will be. I mean, he, he has always been there. The perfect God working in perfect harmony. Three, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. These three are one in perfect fellowship, in perfect love. Three being one, hold a true record in heaven. Our Lord is true. Our triune God is true. Let everyone else be a liar. We understand according to the scripture that the worlds were formed by him. There's no getting around these truths of scripture. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. These three truly are one. The scripture teaches us, and I love John's language here because he says, let a matter be established. He doesn't, but the word says, let a matter be established in the mouths of who? Two or three witnesses. And so John's not just saying, well, I said this or I said that. No, he's going much further than that. He's giving the Gnostics no room to wiggle at all. He's taking his thumb and he's pushing it down on him and he's saying, listen, there's three that bear witness in heaven. There's three that bear witness in earth. Enough said. So John comes and he's on, he's on the uh, defense and the offense and he's, he's going at him like crazy here in this text. And I love how, how vehemently he goes after the truth to share the truth with those that he's around. Here in heaven we have the witness, the testimony of the perfect triune God testifying and bearing record that Jesus Christ is in fact the Son sent from above. Verse 10, uh, verse 9 tells us this. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. So we know that The three that bear record in heaven hold that perfect testimony. 
But now let's bring it down to earth. Because you have three there, but let's bring it here. And let's, let's look at what it means to, to bear record and to bear witness of Jesus being the true Son of God here on earth. Three things that testify on earth. What are they? And there are three in verse 8 that bear witness in earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. What's John doing? Once and for all, he's going to shut the mouths of the Gnostics. He is fixing to prove to them, whether they believe it or not, without a shadow of a doubt, that he, Christ did in fact come, was testified by the Trinity, was testified on earth and witnessed on earth by the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And this just does not come in the days of Christ, but it goes all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. If you go back to Exodus, just if you just go back to Exodus, and you go back into Leviticus... You will see where priests, and this is what Jesus was. He was a priest. He was the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You see where they had to, re, they had to uh, meet certain requirements. Certain things had to be done to them. One of which is they had to be anointed. Another one was which they had to be anointed with oil, anointed with blood. But they also had to be washed. And so you go back into the Old Testament and you see the priests and any priest that, that worked in the, t the, the tabernacle or the testimony, the tent of meeting, whatever you want to call it, the temple, they had to be washed, they had to be purged, they had to be anointed, and this was without fail. And the reason why is because it all pointed to Jesus Christ. Every, every priest that came before the throne, they all pointed straight to Christ. For them to do this office, these three things had to bear record with them. They had to be purged, they had to be washed, and they had to be anointed. We know that the anointing of the oil on the priest was a symbol and a sign of the Spirit of God resting on that person. We know that the washing was a renewal, was a, was a symbolic cleansing of the outward flesh of that person. And we know that the blood represented the inward part and that purging and removal of that sin for that person to go in and to minister. So we have to understand what John is talking about here. When he said these three bear witness, he says this, the spirit, the water, and the blood... They were to be washed with water. Blood was to be spilt. And if you recall in Exodus at about the 28th or 29th chapter, you will see that on their ear and on their thumb and on their toe, they had to be smeared with blood. The symbolic of the whole person being washed or purged. So blood had to be spilt. Had to be spilled. There was no getting around it. After they were washed and after they had the blood smeared on them, they were then anointed with the oil to be able to perform the office of a priest. This is clear in Scripture. Exodus. 
Leviticus. You see it all the way through all of the different things or all of the different sacrifices in, in the Old Testament. So if Christ was to be the true, the true priest from heaven, these things must be in his life as well. Yes. Amen. All three, not just one, not just two, but they all three had to be working perfectly together to confirm that Jesus Christ truly was who he says he was and who John claims that he was. And in fact, these three do work perfectly together in the life of Christ. The first one is that the Spirit bore witness of Jesus. Beginning with the prophecies of Christ, the prophets of old were moved by the Holy Spirit to prophesy concerning the coming one. Even in the book of Genesis, when Moses wrote the book of Genesis, you see there in the garden that there would be one that would come to crush the head of the serpent. And we know that that was the seed of the woman, which was Christ Jesus. And it was the Spirit that moved upon Moses to be able to put this on there in the first place. And so from the beginning and to the end of the Old Testament, the Spirit has been confirming and testifying the whole time that Jesus Christ would come. And in fact, he did come. You cannot get away from it. The Spirit there testifies the truth and the validity of who Jesus truly is. All 66 books testify to that. But the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, you see in every book where the prophets and the kings and the priests and the judges and those that were doing the Lord's work were speaking, they would be moved upon by the Spirit of God and the Spirit would confirm this message and it would be preached out of the coming Messiah. You can't get around it. The Spirit bore witness of Christ. But it wasn't just in the Old Testament, was it? You get into the New Testament, what do you see in the Gospels? We see the Spirit of God overshadowing Mary, don't we? There in the beginning. That young virgin, young lady. The Spirit of God overshadowing her. Confirming what was said and... Micah confirming what was said in the Old Testament. And so we have the Spirit bearing witness and bearing record, bearing testimony, and that testimony is true. The Spirit of God overshadowed her and she was conceived with the Most High. You move on through the life of Christ and not only through His teachings as a young child in the temple, but if you go on, You see where Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. What did the Spirit do? It came down and descended upon Him, didn't it? It descended upon Him in the form of a dove and bore record and that record was true. Remember that? It lit on Him in the form of a dove. And testified to the truth of who Jesus was. He came to fulfill all righteousness. The Spirit came and bore witness that He was in fact the Son of God. Not just some ghost or apparition, but an actual flesh and blood. 
Being baptized by John, he came out of the water. The Spirit descended upon him and straightway he was driven into the wilderness. But the Spirit testified. And so you have that witness to descend upon him and you hear the Father in heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So the Spirit on earth bears witness that Jesus is in fact the Son of God. Christ Jesus displayed the Spirit in His life. There's no getting around this. By the power and the virtue that poured out of Him. Y'all remember that? When all the power came out of Jesus, when the love came out of Him, when He ministered to those that were around Him. The truth that he preached. One testified and said, oh, how he loved. Another testified and said, never heard a man speak like this man. And so you have this spirit testifying in the people, in the work that Jesus is doing. It is there. You cannot get around it. You just can't get around it. Jesus was anointed to preach the good news, was he not? That's what the Old Testament says. Anointed to preach the good news. And so you see that being fulfilled perfectly in the Gospels. Jesus as high priest, able to save, was completely evident. It was so evident, in fact that those that did not believe had to choose not to believe. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Because it was so evident that He was the Son of God, they had to make a stance and believe not to believe. Because it was so evident. The Scriptures teach us that even the demons believed. Don't throw us into Sheol... Don't do away with us now. Cast us into the pigs, they said. Do you remember those words? So it was evident that Jesus was testified of the Spirit without a doubt, without question. And then you move on to the next. The second one was the water that bore witness. Every priest would have to be washed to fulfill the role of that priest before they could go in and then minister before the Lord God on behalf of the people. And so Christ Jesus was no different. Even though water symbolized purification and water symbolized that that external cleansing, we know that Jesus didn't need that. So why did he do it? Why did he do it? For the type to stay true all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He did it to fulfill all righteousness even though he didn't need to do it. He came and was baptized in the water to show that that washing, that purification. That was a testimony and a witness to who he was. That defilement was gone, even though there was no defilement in him. He still entered into the 
Jordan muddy river to, to show us his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Yes, yes. His cleansing, even though he didn't need to do it. John tells us that three bear witness, and these are all one, and that they're true. And so it has to be that Jesus would do this. And in fact, we see where the Spirit bears witness. We see where the water bears witness. You go out throughout the Gospels, and it's not long until you see Jesus speaking about water. He speaks about water all the way through the Gospels. At one point and at one feast, what did he do? When he stand up and he said, He that believes on me, it will be like water, living water, springs of life, bubbling up unto everlasting life, coming out of it. Remember that? And then at another point, he told the woman in John chapter 4, what did he say? He said, You would have asked of me and I would have given you what? Living water. And so you see through the scriptures, you see through the gospels that, that this is no coincidence that Jesus speaks of the water. This is no coincidence that the Spirit is testifying to who Jesus is. The water bearing witness to who he was. He was the only one that could give this living water to where a person would never thirst again. Only Jesus could do this. The water, as I drink some here, symbolized cleansing, renewing, purification. Not only was Christ's life perfect, He did this to fulfill all righteousness. So that we may be able to see that and believe in him. He tells us that it will be a, 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 that we would be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And so that's the second testimony or the second witness that you see in the Gospels. The third one and finally was the blood. The scriptures teach us very clearly that without the shedding of blood... There is no remission. And I'm not talking about you coming up here and cutting my arm open and me putting a Band-Aid on it and walking around still living. I'm talking about slitting the throat of a lamb and killing it graveyard dead. And it's blood being spilt out to redeem wicked man. That's what I'm talking about. There's power in the blood. We sing the song. There's a thousand songs about power in the blood of Christ. And the reason why we sing so many songs about it is because there is truth in it. There is a redeeming quality. There is a purifying quality. There is a, a quality in the power of the blood of Christ that washes us so deep that nothing remains defiled. Amen. And here, just as the priests in the Old Testament had to have their ear, their hand, and their toe, their thumb and their and their big toe and their ear smeared with blood. Jesus, here in the Gospels, from head to toe, not an inch of him was not without 
the smearing of blood. The only way that that high priest could come before the Father to rid us of our sin and our guilt and our shame was for His blood to be completely poured out. Head to toe. He was covered in it. So much so, in fact, that it killed him. It wouldn't have done any good if he would have stayed alive. The Spirit could have bore witness to water, but it wouldn't have done any good if he would have stayed alive. No, in fact, Jesus had to die. He had to die for this to bear witness. Had to. Our Paschal Lamb, our Passover Lamb, the one, the only one that could come. Remember who's John is talking to, and let's tie this together. He's talking to the Gnostics. And he's not just talking about the Spirit here, and he's not just talking about the water. But now he goes to the flesh and he says, Gnostics, you pay attention to something. The one that I'm testifying about bore witness. His flesh and blood was spilt out on behalf of those that would love him, that would believe in him, that would call upon him. These three bear witness. Not these two. These three bear witness. And so John is showing them it is evident that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. His precious blood was spilt for you and for me. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Jesus Christ in fact, did come as a perfect lamb, as a perfect sacrifice, as a perfect mediatorial high priest, as a perfect person. He came and he gave up his life and he willingly laid it down so that we would have this witness and this testimony that we would be able to believe in the one true Savior, Jesus Christ. But he had to die first. And we know, in fact, that he did. He was slaughtered on the cross, was he not? How much more evidence do we need, Gnostics? Unbelievers, how much more evidence do you need? There are three that bear record in heaven and there are three that bear record and bear testimony on earth. And these three are true. They are one. He died and his his blood was spilt, fulfilling, fulfilling this beautiful testimony for all those who believe. And these are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. What does that mean? It means they're all preaching the same thing. That means they're all testifying to the same thing. 
Verse 9, listen to me, church. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. Verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God... Remember why, remember, why was 1 John given? To show us that we have eternal life. Remember? Yes, he was combating the Gnostics, but it was to show that we have eternal life. So you can know without a doubt that you have eternal life. This was why 1 John was given. Listen to what he says. Verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. What does that mean? That he can testify, I am a son of God. That witness is in ourselves. We bear witness that Jesus is true and who he says he is. He that believes not God hath made him a liar because he believes not the record that God gave of his son. The record has been given. I don't know if y'all see that or not. I think it's pretty clear. Those that do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ do not believe the record that's been given by the Father. And for those that do not believe, they are called liars and the truth is not in them. And this is the record, verse 11. That God hath given to us eternal life. And where is this eternal life found? And this life is in His Son. So the Gnostics have no leg to stand on. He says eternal life, the true spirit, the, any good that is in us, what comes from the Lord came from His Son Jesus who actually did come. Gnostics, you don't have a leg to stand on. Unbelievers, you don't have a leg to stand on. The record stands true and it has stood true through the ages. And it will continue to stand true until the Lord comes back. And even when he comes back, his word will not fail. It will last forever. So this is a record that surpasses time. It is a record that surpasses things and people that rise and fall. It is an eternal record that God has given us concerning His Son that we are to believe in. And if we don't, we make ourselves a liar and destined and doomed and damned for hell. Plain and simple. And this is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. There it is. Eternal life. It's only in His Son, His actual Son, the one that breathed and preached and sang and rejoiced and healed and loved and cried. Eternal life was in Jesus. Verse 12 he that hath the Son hath life. 
Guys, the scripture teaches us, he that hath the Son has life. Eternal life. Abundant life. A life that's full of hope and full of peace, full of joy, full of that fruit of the Spirit. Life, true life, living waters that are bubbling up. Not a stagnant cistern that, that just sits there and becomes dark and, and gross and filth and infected with all sorts of different diseases. No, that's not the life that he's talking about. I'm talking about a well of water that is springing up into eternal life. True life. Life that is not stagnant. I'll tell you one thing. Being a child of God is anything but stagnant. It is, there's nothing stagnant about being a child of God. If you are, you better examine your heart and, and, and scoop away the scum on the top. Because since the time that I enrolled with Christ Jesus, my life has been abundant. It has been full. It's not been easy, but it's been abundant and it's been full. Life welling up into everlasting life. Living waters that quench the soul. Listen to what it says. He that hath the Son hath life. And then he says this. And I I can't help but to think that he's directing this very pointedly, very directly to the Gnostics. To those that believed in that uh, docetism, he says this, And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You cannot get any clearer than that. He says, if you do not have the Son of God, if you do not believe in the witness that has been given, the record that has been stated, you do not have life. You're a dead man walking. Half dead. Dead in your trespasses. Dead in your sins. Dead to anything that is righteous and holy. Dead. Why? Because the record has been given and you have not trusted in that record. That record is faithful. That testimony and that witness is faithful and it is true. Jesus came in the flesh which we know according to the Scriptures. He lived perfectly according to the Scriptures. He bled and He died and raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And I stand and I testify and I preach and I teach to you the same things concerned in the Scriptures that Jesus Christ is in fact the Son of God. And if you do not believe that record, if you doubt that record... If you go against that record, which is given to us in the Scriptures, in 66 books of unwavering proof, if you do not believe that, then you do not have life, eternal life. Plain and simple. I pray this morning that you would examine your hearts. Let's pray.